0: So in that kind of four-year period, I went from making zero to like around 16 grand a month in ad revenue just by like fumbling around, no mentors, nothing like to learn other than just being self-taught.
1: Well, hey, 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 what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Rock Your Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Boker, a serial entrepreneur on a mission to help you. This show is designed to teach you, to inspire you, to motivate you, to take massive action and build a future-proof business. So, whether you're just starting out or taking your existing business to the next level, this is your home. Now, if you're ready, I'm ready, let's rock your brand. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Rock Your Brand Podcast. This is episode 918, and I am fired up today because we've got another featured guest here on the podcast, and his name is Chuck Mullins. I met Chuck when he actually came to Brand Accelerator Live as one of our sponsors through Quiet Light Brokerage. He was the guy that showed up at our cocktail hour, which turned into three hours, and uh, he really just dove into a whole bunch of different businesses and different things that he's learned through his, I think, like 19 or 20 years of being online and uh, just crazy, crazy stories and a lot of insight. So what I decided to do is get him here on the podcast so we can unpack his story a little bit more and learn a little bit from what he did right out of college or actually in college. I think he said he was making like $16,000 in college, per month, that is, with this weird thing that he was doing with his website, which it's not really that weird, but it's kind of strange, and it was definitely strange at the time, but you'll have to stay tuned to hear what that is, but really, in this episode, it's just a casual conversation of me and him unpacking his story, I'm asking him some more questions, and then he also, because he has dealt with a lot of businesses that he's bought and sold, and he's also doing that for other people right now as a broker for Quiet Light Brokerage, so he gets to see a full range of businesses, and uh, he's going to let us know what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he'd like to see more of, and really how you can capitalize on what he's done and what he's learned over the years, so that's what you're going to be able to capitalize on yourself here during this podcast. So guys, this is episode 918. If you want to grab the show notes, head on over to brandcreators.com forward slash 918. You can get all of the show notes over there. All the links that we talk about will be there as well. All right, guys. So I'm going to stop talking so you can listen to this very, very interesting conversation that I had with my good friend, Chuck Mullins. Enjoy. All right, Chuck, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm fired up to have you can't wait to dig into some of your stuff. So what's happening, man? How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. And you know, it's funny. You were at uh, Brand Accelerator Live, our virtual, our little happy hour at the end. It actually turned into about happy three hours. And uh, you were really dropping some knowledge bombs there. And people were like, okay, I'm going to set my drink down and talk to Chuck here for a minute. So I wanted to get you on because I I know you've been at this for a long time. I know that, uh, you know, you're, one of your main things now is Quiet Light Brokerage, Joe Valley, good friend of mine and, and everyone over there. But I really just wanted to dig into your story and kind of give people, you know, that are, you know, either thinking about entering the entrepreneurial space or already there and they're thinking, oh my gosh, like, does it ever get any better? So can, can you kind of like bring us back to a little bit of like who Chuck is, where'd you come from and kind of how'd you get your start?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So I can do this in like a quick version or like the super long. I'll I'll try to. uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's try to chop it up a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, um, you know, I went to high school, obviously, and uh, not a very good school. Um, Family didn't grow up with a lot of money, so didn't really have a lot of guidance. Um, I kind of relate to like maybe like the rich dad, poor dad story a little bit because Mm -hmm. my mom was dating a guy who was an entrepreneur. Um, So kind of some of that stuff was like instilled in me. Um, Okay. So when I graduated high school, I actually got my first computer. It was 1996. You know, Windows 95 was just, you know, just had come out. Um, nice. I had always wanted a computer before that. We just didn't have the money. And my mom was like, if you can talk your sister into agreeing to get this for Christmas, then we'll combine everybody's you know, gifts and get you a computer. But I can never get my sister to agree <laughs> to that. Uh, so one of my first passwords was like an offshoot of something about her. Yeah, like just as like a slight, <laughs> yes. you know, internal yes. in my head because like you didn't want to get a computer. Yeah. Um, so I got my first computer. You know, I set it all up and like I, I, you know, put it all together, follow the instructions. I turn it on and it's like there's nothing there. And it's like okay, I, it was on, but there weren't all these programs. And it said like you know it came with you know this list of all these programs. that I'm looking at I'm like uh, I don't know. So I call my mom's boyfriend. I'm like hey, you know it says it comes with all this stuff. He's like okay. He's like do you see? Uh, at the bottom left-hand screen, it says start. I'm like, yeah, he's like, click on that. And I click on that and the thing pops up. And then all of a sudden there's all these programs there. And it's like, oh, wow. So like, that's where I'm coming from, right? Like knowing nothing, like absolutely Uh nothing. Yeah. This is, you know, this is 96, right? This is before, before you could go onto YouTube and learn anything you wanted before this stuff was really all there.
1: Was this AOL times at the, at the, at the checkout, you seen the disc?
0: Yes. Yes. (laughs) I I wasn't using AOL, uh, (laughs) Well, it definitely was that time okay and, uh, so you know i started messing around and i started a website on something called uh, i think it was angel fire or tripod or it was one of these like free services you could have a free website so i started a website there um and it was educational related kind of like an online library type thing uh, about writing and uh somebody reached out to me it probably was like a year into it, where i just had this website i was just messing around doing fun somebody's like hey chuck uh you know, I love your site. I'll give you 10 bucks. if you put a link to our site. I was like, 10 (laughs) bucks. Wow. This is awesome. Like I made some money. And then somebody's like, Hey, I'll give you a hundred and then a thousand. And by, you know, it, it was probably like around 2000. I was up to where I was making like 16 grand a month off of, off of ads. Right. And like, it was just like blowing my mind. I'm in college and just loving it. Right. And then 2000, 2001, the internet bubble burst, the whole Enron thing, all that stuff. And that ad money just dried up because all these guys back then, they were, get, they were getting all this money out of, you know, Silicon Valley and all this stuff and raising all these funds and just like throwing it at people. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll take your money. That's fine. Like yeah. I knew that yeah. they weren't going to be able to recoup what they were paying right. in ads back then. But right. well, sure, you want to pay me, I'll take it.
1: Right. So then all that
0: ad money just like dried up overnight. So it was like kind of like a four-year period there where, you know, I started with nothing, had zero knowledge. I went into computer engineering uh, for school, so but like I wasn't really learning anything about the internet because there wasn't anything to learn about the internet back then, right. as far as like websites, um, and you know f- so in that kind of four year period, I went from making zero to like around sixteen grand a month in ad revenue, That's just crazy. by like fumbling around, no mentors, nothing like to learn other than just being self taught. I remember mm-hmm. one of the the first uh, big amounts of money I made back then was it was there was Excite. Um, was one of the search engines and like all the business stuff. And I had a guy, he's like, Hey, Chuck, you know, and he was a competitor of mine at that time. Um, you know, use that term loosely. And he's like, Hey, if you can get me like in the number one to three spot on on this, you know, excite search engine, I'll give you like, I forget what it was, $1,000 a month or $700 a month. I was like, Yeah, sure. Let me see. So, like, I, I took his page, I looked at it, and then I went to the search, you know, I typed in the keyword he was looking for. And then I literally just like counted how many times the keyword was there versus like the total amount of text, right? The key, uh, the the keyword density and just applied it to his page and got him like the number two listing. And he sat there for like, I don't remember, it was like two years, three years. I was making like 750 bucks a month for something that like took me two hours to like do. And it was just like, wow, like, you know, that's kind of the power of the internet businesses and stuff is like, I can do something right now. And that was a service I was providing, right? But I can do something or create some content or create a thing that can then generate money kind of almost in perpetuity from like only a couple hours of work. So like yeah. that really got my, my juices flowing there. Um, and then, you know, when that internet bubble burst, all that money dried up and it's like, oh God, like what do I do now? Like I, I was kind of liking making this money. Yeah. So uh, then uh, me and two other guys got together and we kind of pivoted and we had an advertiser um, who had been paying us to like refer traffic to like a membership site. Okay. So we just pivoted and, and, and created a membership site out of what was a free site, but me and two guys and like the first month, I think we, we made like 60 grand and we're like, oh my God. like what have we been waiting on? Yeah. You know? and, and then <clears throat> we started like playing around and like just testing different things and kept, you know, growing and growing it. And then we had a biller and the biller actually billed for porn sites as well. So he kind of, whenever you want to know, like what's happening, you look like porn and gambling. And those are like the innovators of Mm -hmm. like the internet and Mm -hmm. like marketing and things. Mm -hmm. And he's like, listen, don't just charge like 10 bucks for a month, charge 10 bucks a month. Like literally change a couple words and like overnight, instead of making 10 bucks, you know, the average person was generating like say 25 bucks over the course of their membership. So like a 250% increase in, in income right there, just from like, changing a few words on the website. Mm. And then we started looking at like doing like conversion rate optimization. Um, and with that, we had tested a couple of things, but we finally hired somebody. We said, Hey, listen, w- we've hired people in the past. They haven't done anything for us. We had one guy, we paid him like seven grand. And he's like, yeah, just make all your form feels the same width. That's like, mm. that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. It didn't have any effect, but it was just like back then, nobody really knew what they were doing. hired a company said we're not getting like you know messed over this time so we'll pay you if you can achieve these metrics so they started doing it and and at that point we had i don't know six or seven sites that were all kind of doing the same thing because we thought if we make one you know 1x doing this can we make 5x doing this Mm -hmm. and that kind of goes against a lot of seo strategy now but it's what Mm -hmm. we did yep and um so uh we let them start doing it. They got it up to where they were able to get like a 20% boost. And one of my partners stumbled across this website that had these little trust symbols. And they sold them. It was like $79 a month for trust symbols. And we put them on our site. And as soon as we put on the site, we got a 70% increase in conversion rate, 7-0. Just by putting that, we're like, no way. Like, clearly, there's, it's, it's not real, right? That's not going to last. But we had a bunch of sites. So we started sticking them on all of our sites. And we got a 60%, 100%, an 80%. Each site was seeing like these just major like, improvements. Now, that's not something that you can probably achieve today, those same type of things. Because mm-hmm. back then, nobody trusted the internet. Yeah. So like these little indicators of trust really had major impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, these guys that we had hired who would do this as a profession were only able to get a 20% because they didn't have the stupid trust symbols. They were doing mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And it was just like, wow, it was like mind-blowing. So this is where it kind of led me into the, the path of starting to buy and sell online businesses because okay. I went and I said, like I, I saw the value in these trust symbols and I said, Hey, like, will you sell me this company where you're selling these trust symbols? And this wasn't like a McAfee or a or Norton or anything at the time. This was like some BS little like thing that had like a thumbs up and it, it wasn't it wasn't anything that seemingly really real. And like, yeah. yeah, we're not interested. Like, well, just throw out a number. Tell me what would make sense. So, like, we're not interested. I'm like, no, no, give me a number. You know, like we're not interested. Okay. So I ended up going and creating my own. So I have a, a website with trust symbols now it's called safesightcertified.org. And you can put these little trust symbols. You're not going to get a 70% increase. I don't want right. to say you're gonna get that right, but you'll right. get, you almost always get some sort of a lift. So it's, it's a really so powerful I- thing.
1: You you think that that is something that I mean someone could even take right now if they have a a checkout page Absolutely. and just and if they don't have that add that and you know like you said might not be it might not be 20% might not be 70% but it might be 2%, 5%. Yep, yep. yep. You still believe that today?
0: Oh, 100%. Absolutely. You you've got to be doing these stupid little things. And it's okay. just all about creating the credibility and trust in your business. Cuz and again, it's you know if you're Nike it's not mm-hmm. going to have an impact. Right. But if you're, you know, Stevie's toy shop, right. Like nobody knows you. They're like, they're weighing buying it from you versus Amazon. Mm-hmm. You've got to do what you can to establish that credibility and let them know that, Hey, I really am going to deliver this product. Like I promise I'm going to do, and I'm not going to steal your credit card. I'm not going to do any of these things. So credibility is like a huge thing still to this day. And uh, another thing that we did was part of our checkout, and this is back again, back in the day, we added the Facebook login button, right? Log into Mm -hmm. our site with Facebook. Now, nobody was actually using that Facebook login. Today, everybody uses Gmail, Facebook, all these logins, right? But back then, nobody used the Facebook login, but we got a 20% increase in conversion rate simply by having that Facebook login button on the signup page. Wow. So again, it was just about establishing that credibility. So even today, Mm -hmm. I think you're not going to get a 20% increase from that, right? But if you're, if you're not using like the Facebook login button or if you're not using the Google one or any of these other various ones that are out there, I would say probably the Google like is probably the best one to go with. Uh, but like you're probably missing some opportunity there and not getting the conversion rate you could be getting just because of the simplification, simplification of the sign-up process and just the the implied trust that you're creating by having that there.
1: Mm. That That's interesting. So <clears throat> And again, I think that's why Amazon has done so well just themselves, because you go there, you don't even think about, am I going to get my product anymore? You're just like, I'm going there because I know I'm going to get my product. And if I have a problem, I know I'll just ship it back yep. and they'll just give me my money back. And even if I don't send it back, they're going to basically make that, that seller give the money back, yep. right? Or they're going to revoke their privileges to selling. Yep. So they got you. Um, okay. And it's, uh, it's interesting, but just by us doing that, what about like a phone number? on a site as well. You think that that's something that's necessary too to have a phone number there, 1-800 or something?
0: 100%. I, I believe that. And I believe that most of the time people won't actually call it. But again, it's one of those trust things where they see that and then they believe in it. And like for my personal sites, I use something like a, um, what's it called? Uh, I think of the name. It's a, it's like an 800 number. You can buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I probably have 12, 800 numbers, Okay. Um, half of them have my name somewhere in the number. Um, okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I I'll set up and I'll go to like Fiverr and I'll pay somebody and I'll pay them 20 bucks. I'll give them a script and they read the script and we just have a phone tree and you okay. know, they call up the number and they're not actually going to get somebody. Hi, I'm sorry. We, you know, can't get out of the phone right now, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I just got a professional sounding voice. You know, mm-hmm. I don't use myself to do it. Somebody who's got like the mic and, and all that stuff that it's just going to sure. be nice and crisp. Not <laughs> only do we use that for like the sales process, but also, to alleviate chargebacks. Um, so, in the business that we were in with the recurring revenue, chargebacks was an issue. We'd yeah. have way too many. And back in the day, before we knew any better, it was just like, we don't we don't issue refunds. Like you signed yeah. up, you're paying, whatever. Like we were pretty right. cold about it. But right. now, like chargebacks being such an issue, uh, in general, like we'll give people a refund almost no matter what, because right. it's just not worth it. And one of the things we were finding was, People would look at their credit card statement. They wouldn't recognize the charge. And by the way, now it's no longer $9 because we did price testing. we found that 1999 was the best price that again, increased profit by like 30%. So price testing is a big thing to do, but they would see this and they'd be like, I don't remember this company. And then they would call up their bank and they would do a chargeback. And one time, um, I remember I got a call, it was a voicemail where I didn't answer and it was the, the, the credit card company and the person who had called and they didn't realize that they were leaving a voicemail on my, on my phone. And she's like, okay, well, you know, I, I heard, uh, she, the customer service person said, okay, well, we'll just go ahead and issue a chargeback. Don't worry about it. And the lady's like, oh, but they just said that they'll give me a refund. I just have to contact them. Yeah. It's like, oh, but we'll just give you, we'll just do the chargeback. Oh, I like, no. What? <laughs> like. Like, you're totally like messing yeah. us up like by doing yeah. that, right? But like, yeah. it shows that the, having that kind of voicemail there that says, hey, like I understand," like, and we had a different number that went on the credit card thing that mm-hmm. they would call and it said, hi, if you're calling to get a refund, we'd be happy to issue one, blah, blah, blah. Just totally like said, hey, we'll give you a refund. Right. You notice a significant drop in chargebacks just by doing that, just by making wow. it easier, uh, at least somewhat easier by the phone call. So you got to right. figure out, where, where the chargebacks are creating. Cause like, you don't necessarily want it to be like on your homepage mm-hmm. and like, Oh, cancel my account. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe right. you want to make it a little bit more difficult than that.
1: Yeah. 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 No, that, that makes sense. um Okay. So it sounds like, I mean, you, one thing kind of led to the other, to the other uh let's, let's dig into a little bit of I want to get into like right now, currently, like what you look at as far as like, and for you personally, it doesn't mean that there's any, we know business models all work in their own right, but like, I want to talk about like, if you're starting one or you're buying one, what does it look like for you personally um, that you get excited about? And um, yeah. just for people that are either building one or, or that might want to even acquire one, um, you know, like what are, what are things that you're interested in, but before we get there, you know, what are some things that you would say would be learning experiences from things that you either started and didn't work out or tried and didn't work out, and then you either kicked yourself later or whatever. Give us some give us something there to to chew on a little bit because I, I know we can all talk about all of the wins and all of the stuff, but like what what's something that you have learned by building businesses online for this many years?
0: Yeah. So entrepreneurship is just a roller coaster ride. Like mm. it's, it's never gonna go 100% right, 100% of the time. You've got to, you know, have a war chest, be able to ride out the downtimes in order to get back up to the good times. Um, this is particularly true if you're like getting a lot of traffic from Google. Um, mm-hmm. Most of my mm-hmm. sites were all content. And at one point we were getting, uh, I forget what it was, but like say 30 million page views a month uh, on on some of these sites. and we would rank, like anything I searched for, we were in like the top 10 to 20 search results. Wow. Like it was, it was incredible. The amount of traffic we were getting back in the day. Um, and Google would do an update and all that traffic would go away. I was like, oh man. So we have to come up with a new strategy and figure out a new way and do new things. And meanwhile, you know, it's, it's not doing what it was doing. So lots of ups and downs and just sticking with it um, and just, you know, adapting and figuring out and pivoting, right? The thing with when 2000, 2001, the internet bubble burst, like that ad money dried up. I could have just walked away at that and been like, okay, I'm done. It was a great ride. But we pivoted and started trying to charge, you know, a membership fee instead. And that worked well. So you just got to be, you got to have enough money in the war chest to be able to write out those downtimes. And maybe some of the things that I haven't done quick enough, um, I hear a lot of people say like, be slow to hire, but quick to fire like mm-hmm. I hate firing people. Like, yeah. There's nothing worse. And I've had people that's you know, I've had on the payroll for 6 months, 8 months a year, way longer than I should have. And I should have gotten rid of them and and if you're already going through like some downtimes and you're trying to like keep paying people a salary, like long term it's going to hurt you mm-hmm. and them, right? Like let them move on if if and let them find another job that's more secure maybe if you're not going to be able to do it, right? Because if you're just paying them at the cost of like the business going down, you're not doing anybody a favor. Mm. Um, Yeah. What else? Uh, Some other bad things, you know, I've got very specific things. I'm not sure I can draw like kind of a wider thing, but Mm. um, we, on one of my businesses um, we were running all of our payments through PayPal. Mm. And with PayPal, there's a setting that says if the, if the recurring billing fails, try this many times before you cancel it. Yep. yep. But we didn't realize there was that setting. So it, yep. it just tried them for infinity. Well what happened um, was after six months of trying to bill them, it's now instead of say $20, it's $120 and it keeps tacking on, they update their credit card information and get they get charged six times for, for 20 bucks. Well what do you think oh, they're gonna do? Yeah.
1: yeah they're gonna yeah.
0: hit a chargeback, right? So this happened to us a couple of times and we weren't aware and, or at least this is what I think happened. And PayPal said, Hey guys, we no longer want to work with you. We're locking your account and we're going to hold this 60 grand that you haven't cleared out of the account yet. Oh, and wow. That's my fault. Like I should have been clearing that money quicker, but there were 60 mm-hmm. grand sitting in the PayPal account. Wow. Um, oh, wow. then we're going to hold this for, I forget what it was. Right. So I'll mm-hmm. take everything I'm saying as fact, but it something like yeah. that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Probably if I say the exact wrong thing, um, yeah. but it was like, they wanted to hold it for six months and we're like, guys, like, this is going to ruin our business because not only are you holding 60 grand, but that was all of our recurring revenue at the time. Mm. So by turning that off, we can't take that those billing that billing and move it somewhere else. Right. All those credit yeah. cards are locked in PayPal. Yeah. So like, if you're running recurring billing, I would never suggest doing it through PayPal now. Mm. Like the key is you got to get a merchant account, right. And you got to use like uh, authorized But the caveat there is you can't let the merchant set up the, authorized.net account. They'll do it and they'll pay for it, but then they own that, right? And that's where all the credit cards are stored. You need to set it up on your own so that you own the credit card so that when that merchant decides they no longer want to work with you for whatever reason, because they have the right to do it, you that's can plug cool. in a new merchant and you haven't lost any recurring revenue. Like yeah. it's devastating. PayPal, we lost like a half a million dollars when they, when they, when they did that to us because of all that lost recurring revenue.
1: Mm, that, that's crazy. And Yeah, I've been uh, trained myself um, from exactly that. And also hearing other horror stories is like, just keep that account as as clean and lean as you can. Obviously, you got to leave some money in there because you got to make payments here and there. But yeah, you want to kind of clean out the PayPal account because I've heard real bad stories about them locking up a lot of money um, quickly. Um, Okay, so again, uh, you've been at this a long time. You're now really also like helping people buy and sell, you know, brands and and niches uh, or in various niches. Give me something there. Like what's, is there anything that's surprised you so far that has like been a business that's been built and that you're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that you could actually build something in that, or has something just surprised you in general by after going through all these transactions that you've done, whether it's buying or acquiring? I'm
0: not sure that I've been surprised. I've, I've certainly learned a lot through the process. Um, maybe something that surprised me is how much emotion is involved when you're buying and selling a business. Mm. If you think that it's just like a, a strictly transactional thing, um, but like one of the first businesses I helped somebody sell, like within 30 minutes of listing the business, we got a phone call with somebody and they said, hey, you know, near full price was like $1,000 below full price we'll close, you know, in 24 hours, blah, blah, blah. So I call her up and I'm like, Hey, um, you know, good news. we got, you know, almost a full price offer, blah, blah. blah. And she started to cry. I was like, Hey, what's going on? And she's like, she's like, it's just, uh, I've always thought it was a company. I've always felt like it was a real business, but until somebody like offered to buy it from me, I hmm. never really knew. She's like, she's like, it's, it's like, you know, like, uh, it's like somebody telling you you're beautiful for the first time. Like you've always felt that you were beautiful. Right. But you never were sure. And until yeah. somebody's given you that validation, like, you know, you don't realize, and it was just a very emotional thing for her mm. and like just that kind of emotion. And then there's the emotion of like, when things don't go the way they should, because n- nothing ever goes the way it should. And you've got a million dollars or half a million or $5 million writing on it. And this is like everything to you. And like, it doesn't go exactly how it should, that is really emotional and it, it's very draining. And like, mm. we're constantly having to like walk people back off of cliffs that are like ready to just jump off a cliff, you know? Yeah. And it's happened to me personally. Like, I had a business that I was selling, and the money's supposed to show up because, okay, why are you the money? Okay, money doesn't show up. Reach out to them. Can't get a hold of them. Reach out to them. Can't get a hold of them. A couple of days go by, still can't get a hold of them. Wow. Oh man, you know, like, I'm supposed <laughs> to sell this business. We're talking big yeah. money here. Yeah. And, uh, so then his partner finally gets back to me. He's like, "Hey Chuck, oh he went on a vacation. Uh, he thought he had sent you the money. I guess it didn't work. So uh, I haven't been able to hold it moving yet. But don't worry, we'll take care of it." So like a week goes by. Finally gets back to me. He's like, "Oh hey, there was a problem. Um, let me get with the bank right now. It's an online bank. They wouldn't let me wire it. Uh, so he he goes and he's supposed to send me some checks or a check. And the check doesn't show up. A couple of days go by. Hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm sorry. And like I'm like about to jump off a cliff. And at this point, I'm like." Listen, man, like, and I'm thinking in my head, like, I will take 20% less. I'll take 30% less. In my mind, this business is gone. Like, I can't, I I, I don't have the heart to, like, get back into it and, like, do the grind again. And then, uh, finally, I get a call from my UPS store. And they're like, hey, you've got some packages. I'm like, okay. So, I show up. And there's, like, a stack of overnight envelopes that are sitting there. And they're like, here you go. And they hand me, like, a stack of overnight envelopes. What is this? And I open up the first one. And there's a check for 100 grand. Okay, open the second one. There's a check for hundred grand. Open a third one. Check for hundred grand. <laughs> open a fourth. One. Check for hundred grand. And it's like, what? And and so I call him. I'm like, hey, what's going on? What? He's like, oh well, you know, because it was an online bank business account. They wouldn't let me like send a check for the full amount. They have a max of a hundred thousand dollars that you can write a check for. So I just had oh, to gosh. break it up in hundred thousand dollar increments and send you like a stack of overnight envelopes of hundred thousand dollar checks. And it's just like and they weren't even <laughs> in one envelope, right? It was like individually overnighted hundred thousand dollar things. And oh it's just my like, gosh. it was just so like stressful. And I was never so relieved as to oh my gosh. when I sold that business. It's just like, man, the, the, the emotional toll that some of this stuff plays on you is, is yeah. incredible. So
1: how did you, how did you get hooked up with Quietly? I don't know that story.
0: Yeah. So, um, Again, so I, I kind of got the, the itch for like buying stuff when I tried to reach out to buy that uh, that one company. So I got on like Flip. Uh, I'm sure most people know what that yep. is. And I started buying stuff. I buy a $100 business, 1000 for Valentine's Day. I bought my girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife. I bought her a company, uh, like a drop shipping, <laughs> like personalized, uh, like they sell oh, onesies and, yeah. and stuff. So I bought that for her. So I was just buying things. And then I would get with groups of investors And we'd raise money with each other and then buy a bigger asset. So we were buying like multiple seven figure businesses. Um, So it was mostly a way of, I was making a lot of money in college, had no idea what to do with it. I was reading all these books, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all these real estate investing ones, just all these things trying to figure out, like, what do I do with this money? Mm -hmm. I was looking at like car washes, laundromats, self-storage facilities and then I was looking oh, at wow. you know, franchises and eventually everything just kept leading me back. Like, dude, like you should just buy what you know. Right. So um, I started buying companies and then it was like, okay, well, how do I find new companies to buy? Right. Like that's hard. Like you can do outreach to people, but sure. I started going to, to conferences and speaking about buying and selling businesses. So I think maybe the first one I spoke at was either affiliate summit or PubCon, and oh, I'd okay. get up and just talk about it. And since it was going to be my first presentation, And like, I really didn't know as much as maybe I should be giving a presentation like that. I reached out to a couple of different brokerages and said, Hey, do you guys want to come speak with me? So quiet, was one of those. And then it kind of got into a thing where quiet and I were doing like the rounds on different brokerages. And I also did it with some other brokerages as well, but we'd go out and just speak about buying and selling. You know, they'd be the seller. I'd be the buyer. Okay. And we would just kind of talk about the process. Cause again, when I started doing this, nobody actually realized People thought of a website or a business, an online business as a website. They didn't think of it as a business. So they didn't really necessarily realize that this is an asset that they could sell. It was like, yeah, it's making me 10 grand a month, right? What does that mean? Well, that means that it's 120 yeah. grand that you yeah. could put a, some sort of a multiple on and yeah. then cash out. Right. So quite like quickly started trying to recruit me to come on board. And it's like, guys, like I'm making way too much money with all my other things to like to be a broker. Um, and they kept, they kept on asking me, as well as some other brokerages were asking me. And uh, I ended up selling a business, and it happened to be that one with the uh, with the hundred thousand dollar checks. Oh, and nice. I think Mark from Quiet Life found out that I had sold, and he's like, Well, I know that you were sold this, and it happened to be that that was because I owned a bunch of companies, Now that be that was the one I was putting all my time into. He's like, Hey, Chuck, like, come work with us. Like, yeah. He's like, let's show you the numbers. Right. And it's like, okay, that actually makes sense. Let's do it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I came in and, and the reason I chose quiet light is just, they're all entrepreneurs. Mm. Right? It's not like they're hiring some dude like, with an MBA. that just got out of school. Right. It's like, right. we're all uh, bought, built, sold their own businesses. We've yeah. got a, I don't know your language that's allowed on your podcast, but it's a no a-hole policy. Yeah. Uh, so like if, if a seller comes in and they're being a hole, we can tell them to hit the road. Like I don't yeah. have to put up with anybody's garbage. Um, yeah. so it's just, it's a great company to work with and, and I really enjoy it. Good people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So how does that work for you? I, I know that they, they do that with, with quite a few of their brokers. It's like, cause they, again, they're entrepreneurs. They're, they're actually building and selling and doing all that stuff. Like, so how does that work for you? Cause it, you've got your hands in a lot of things, you know, then you got to, de- you know, deals over here that you got because you know, you're, you're helping people buy or sell. Um, how do you manage your time? how does, how does that, cause that's another big one, right? We have these opportunities. Like, how do you say no? (laughs) And how do you, you know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you like, you know, really dedicate your time?
0: Yeah. So quiet light is like 99% of my focus, right? That's what I do now is brokerage. I have all these other companies. I've set them up um, from the beginning of starting them in such a way that they're all fairly automated or Mm -hmm. I have people in place to manage them. So like, I've got no desire to work like a nine to five, right? Like doing that type of stuff. Um, so it's just a matter of like delegating, uh, okay. delegating responsibilities and setting things up. Most of my stuff, I'm not running a lot of e-commerce. I'm mostly running content sites. Yep. So there's not really a whole lot to do other than producing content. And that's easy enough to delegate to other people.
1: Yeah. let let's let's talk about that. I want to switch to that because you, I the last time we talked that, you know you were you were saying like you like content. you know, you like the content side of things. Obviously, you're from the SEO world back in the day, you know, backlinks and all that stuff. I mean, the heck, that's where you kind of got your your start. Where is it at today? Like where do is there still great opportunity there for content? Um, let's let's dig into that a little bit. I'd like to just pick your brain on that.
0: Yeah, so something you said earlier was like, kind of like, you know, starting a new site versus buying one. Mm. So like, it's it's self-serving for me to say this, but it's what I truly believe. And that is like, if you want to get into it, you can either start it or you can buy it, right? And it's, do you have more money or more time? If you've mm. got more time, then you start something, right? If you don't have the cash to buy something, then you start it. But what is it? Nine out of 10 businesses fail or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, content yeah. sites, it's probably way higher than that. But if you buy something, you've got that money, even if it's not a whole lot, if you can just have somebody else prove out the model, Mm -hmm. then you can stand on their shoulders and do what you're good at and grow it from there. So Mm -hmm. I like that a lot better where just let somebody prove out a model, let them get past that 90% failure rate to where Mm -hmm. now it's probably going to be a significantly lower failure rate because they've already proven something out. I think starting a content site now from scratch, it's very different than when I was doing it a long time ago. Back in the day, it was about the technology like who could master the technology because like there wasn't all this information. There wasn't WordPress back then. Most of my content sites aren't on WordPress. Like I've been moving some of them over to it, but they're all like custom things that I built like out of PHP, yeah. CGI and all these things. Um, so I think it's shifted from technology now to marketing, right? So now the people who are really successful are marketing and they're using different tactics, not just SEO, but also, you know, social media, right? Instagram, all these different things. Mm-hmm. So That's probably not where my strength is as far as like the marketing aspect. I think I'm pretty good at it, but I was more on the technical. So I like the idea of standing on somebody's shoulders and just buying what they've done and then grow it from there using various tools and things to do that. And then like, I like content because more so I would say I like SaaS membership. Mm -hmm. SaaS membership based on content and getting a little more specific based on user generated content. If you mm-hmm. can have your users generating the content that you're then charging the money for, mm-hmm. like that's limitless on what you can do there. Whereas if you have to produce the content and pay people, right? Like you've got, you got, you know, thresholds of how much money you want to reinvest and things of that nature. Um, you know, uh, when how would sh- they,
1: how would they do that? Give, give me an example on that. What like uh, user generated content. And if you're, yeah, like, so, just, can you give me an example?
0: Yeah. Like a forum. It would be a perfect example, right? Where you've got a a base of fans around some sort of a topic and you're getting them to produce the content for you. Forums is like the easiest way to think about it. Mm -hmm. But like, it could be like, hey, if you want access to this, like I know somebody who has like a a stock trading thing. And in order to get into the group, you have to write. It's like either once a year or or so frequently, you have to do a write-up on a company that's in the stock Uh business. And, and, and say, this is why I think you should invest in this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all different things and you got to be creative on and, and creating a group. Um, but I think one of the the best things you can do is, and I used to say this to a lot of people is when you're starting a business, you can either be like disruptive advertising, meaning like Mm -hmm. you're having to get in somebody's face and say, Hey, I know you didn't know you want this, but like, there's this thing you should buy it. Or you can be where people are looking for something already. Right. Mm -hmm. So if there's a niche and like, I think we all know this, but like, no matter how niche it is, there's people out there looking for it. Right. Like, oh yeah. So if you can find something that people are already searching for and then just find a way of getting in front of them, it's going to be a lot easier path than trying to be like disruptive and get in their flow and say, Hey, I know you're not looking for this, but come check Mm. this out.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people make is they're like, they have an idea uh, and, and it's kind of to your point of like proving out the model. So the way I look at it is, you know, yes, you can look at a business you want to buy and they proved out the model or they proven the model. You can also look at other people and kind of spy on them and go, oh, they're kind of paving the path for me. They've, you know, they've been doing it for six years, but you know, they've done all this stuff. What are they doing that makes their traffic happen and what makes their sales happen and and all that stuff. So it's, I mean, it's become a lot easier now wow. to kind of look and see.
0: the problem with that is like, and I see this a lot, right? Like there isn't always an element of timing and luck when you build a business. That's true. And I see a lot of people that have created a really successful business, sell it. They'll take all that money. They'll dump it into something else and completely fail at it. Even Mm -hmm. though they thought that they were like the golden child. Like, look, it took me two years. I ramped this from zero to $5 million, right? Like I know what I'm doing. Right. It's not just being able to see what other people are doing and replicate it it doesn't always work. I talk to people constantly who have tried it and they're like, I don't know. Like I can see exactly what they're doing. I've tried it and it's not working Mm. for me. So again, like that's one of those reasons I believe in staying on somebody else's shoulder because there's there's just, there's an element of timing and luck that almost always comes into play.
1: Mm. I I guess what I was saying was like, some people, they don't, they're trying to create a niche versus going into a niche that's already been established. You know what I mean? Like you know, Oh, I didn't know that, uh, aquascaping was a thing. You know what I mean? It's like, and then all of a sudden you're like, you're seeing like all these sites being built, whether it's a year ago, 10 years ago. And you're like, Oh, there is a market there. I just need to find out a way to get in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in that case. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, let's kind of, let's kind of, uh, bring this back to, uh, to kind of like, if you were right now and you're not, because I mean, well, you could be, but you're pretty much like you said 99% of your your energy and time is going into into like helping other people with their you know buying or selling but uh what are some what are some things right now that you feel are opportunities moving into 2021 um you know business wise market wise niche wise like is there something that you would say that if you were like looking for something it would be kind of in that direction i know you said sas but can we, can we get a little bit more specific
0: yeah so the one thing I, let me, let's start by saying the things I wouldn't get into. Mm, I wouldn't get yeah. into trendy things. Okay. Like if you see like, oh, there's a trend in, uh, and I'm gonna throw one out that I'm gonna get flame for, but like say crypto, right? Like, yeah, it's not something I'd be getting into. Right. Um, and I'll give you a reason, right? So one of the businesses I bought was in the paleo space, paleo diet. Okay. It worked right. Like for my, for my honeymoon or not for my honeymoon, but for my, um, for my wedding, my due diligence was doing this diet for a couple months before my, before my, wedding and I lost like 40 pounds. Okay. Right. And then we went on our, on our honeymoon and I, we, it was like a 160 page contract. We're on a 30 day cruise and I'm having to like negotiate this contract on the South Pacific. Anyway, it was a long story, <laughs> but, um, and I'm trying to remember where now, where I was going with this. Um,
1: uh, yeah, well you, you bought you, you were thinking about like, you don't want to go into a trend.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like the paleo thing though, like if you, mm-hmm. one of the things I always tell people look at is like, look at Google trends, Right. If you look at paleo, paleo recipes, paleo diet and Google trends, it was like this up, up, up. Chuck buys it down, 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 down. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And like, right. It, like I didn't. And somebody had told me this when I was buying, they're like, dude, diet is always a trend. It's always going to go up and then it's going to go down. You look at any diets over the history, they're going to go up. They're going to go down right now. Keto is skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Right. I probably wouldn't want to buy a keto business right now. Right. Like right. it's it's no matter how well the diet <laughs> works. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, there's some, there's something that made it get popular and that something is going to go away. Right. Like Atkins used to be the thing. So then you look at think about like fidget spinners, right? Those things like oh, those right. are super hot for yeah. like a year or two. Right. Right. Like I wouldn't want to be in a fidget spinner business. Right. What people should think about is like old stale, mm-hmm. like you know, shaving razors, right? Like that's something that's always going to be around. And I'm not saying you should get into that, right? But like the idea of like just something that's like old and stale. And when I talk about like why I'd want like a recurring revenue type business, membership SaaS, anything along those nature is I've learned enough times by getting whacked by Google that when you've got a business, right? And you're growing and you're making your money. If you've got, let's say a content site, right? And your traffic goes away like tomorrow the traffic goes to here. So does your revenue, right? So does all your profit and it goes to zero. And now what do you do? Like mm-hmm. if you have a war chest, you try to build it back up or you walk away. Right. Same thing. E-commerce. If 100% of your traffic is coming from say Google with e-commerce or Amazon, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. One of the businesses we were looking, we owned an online shoe store and we were looking at acquiring a new shoe store, like to bolt onto it. And they were doing 30, something percent of their sales through Amazon and we got an email that told us that we were losing a bunch of revenue because Amazon was changing some terms. But we knew that one third of that business's revenue was going to go away overnight. Mm. Right. So we no longer were going to buy it because they didn't want to change the terms. But what if that was 100% of the business? What if 100% of their business was Amazon and Amazon, at their sole discretion, decided to change some term or they didn't like you or they didn't do this? Like your revenue dries up overnight. Mm-hmm. So it's high risk. Right. And that's why you want the diversity in your sales channels, your marketing channels. So that if one thing gets yanked away, thirty-three percent of your revenue gets yanked away. That sucks, right? Like it hurts, yeah. but yeah, it's yeah, not one hundred percent, right? Right. When you have recurring revenue, and let's say you're you're cruising along, you're doing well, and you have a membership site or something, and Google takes away your traffic, traffic goes down to here. Your recurring revenue, it's like you're coming in for a landing, right? Yeah, so you've got long. months and months and months of that of that built-in value that you can use to then try to you know pull out of that. Mm-hmm. So it's the difference of having kind of like built in value that's stored in the business versus having to have a war chest in your pocket to use that money to try to like recover from.
1: Yeah. And I'd also say too, and I know you agree with this, is like recurring also is going to be a great business to sell. Right. But
0: but for that reason. Exactly. For the predictability. Exactly. For the, the the lower risk. Exactly. Right the higher the higher the risk it's like the inverse the higher the risk the lower the value the lower the risk the higher the value and right. the risk is like a lack of diversification right like single points of failure mm-hmm. so when you've got 100% of your business that's amazon with a single supplier that's in china right like and and you know like it re- requires you for some reason like that's just one risk after another risk after another risk and people who are thinking about buying it are going to see that and
1: they're going to penalize you for that. So basically, what I'm hearing is diversify on all fronts, right? All fronts. No single point um, of failure. Yeah, and and so let, let's wrap up. But like, so if if you're if you have a content site right now, you're getting your traffic from Google. Um, what other traffic channels are you are you trying to bring in? Yeah. You know? So diversity can come
0: in many ways, right? So you can diversify like not for just that one site, but you could buy a second site or you could start a second site, right? So you could have diversity there. Um, the diversity can be in traffic, right? So Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, see a lot of people with Pinterest traffic, um, email list, uh, you know, there's, there's countless ways of driving traffic. YouTube, like all yeah, those, you just, yeah. You yeah. just have to be creative and, and try to come up and not solely rely on Google. Mm. But at the same time, like some people are like, oh, but you know, I'm, I'm driving all my sales through Amazon. Should I pivot to Shopify? It's like, mm-hmm. depends on your time horizon. Like if you want to sell in like three months, then no, right? Like you, you go where the money's at if it's easiest, right? Like it's right. risky, but like if you could double your sales on Amazon or make 5% extra with Shopify, just double That's... your sales on Amazon, right? right? Like right. the risk is right. high, but like the reward is much higher and right. you just want to go where, you know, like any multiple that you would gain from getting five or 10 or 20% extra in Shopify mm-hmm. versus doubling your sales, the multiple is not going to be double. Because you diversified, right? Yeah. So yeah. diversity is a really good thing, but you just have to weigh it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I agree, and it's it's one of those things, and it's it's what I've always said though. It's like you're building, like you've over the years, I myself, it's like you're building up a skill set of like all of these different things that you can plug in and, and play with, and also, like you said, you're actually you you'd rather take money, not time and buy something that's at least up and running and moving. And then you to go and poke some holes and go, Oh, I could fix all that stuff. Right. I could put that little security badge on that page because it's not there and boost my conversions or, you know, um, so I think that's important for people to, to also hear is that, you know, your first business probably won't be your most successful business because you're going to learn from that, take the lesson onto the next one. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, learn throughout each and every, you know, venture that you get yourself into.
0: Yeah. Um, you just pointed out a really good thing that I always like to tell people. So like when I want to buy a business, I want to find a thing that when I look at, it, I'm like, that thing's making how much money that is making? How much? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like I can fix that. And people get into this mentality of like when they're getting ready to sell their business, they think about it like they're selling a house, right? When you sell the house, what's the last thing you do before you sell it? You paint the walls, you put some mulch out, you plant some new flowers, right. you fix that light switch that's been broken. Like you do all these things to get it ready to so where it's... Pristine and ready. When you sell a business, don't do that. Right, like mm. do that a year from from you know a year before right. you're ready to sell. Because right. when you make that switch, if if I fix that light switch and that makes me an extra ten grand a month, if I try to sell the business tomorrow, mm. I haven't captured the value that I've created, but I've removed the opportunity that a buyer might see. If I did it a year ago and it made me ten grand, I've now made one hundred twenty grand times a three x multiple. I've made mm. I've created three hundred sixty thousand dollars in value. If I did it last week. I've removed the visible opportunity that somebody would see and haven't actually captured the value. Maybe I got 10 grand, which is like 30, right? So mm. like you really want to think about these things and, and plan your exit well in advance so that you can capture that value and know that people are looking for opportunity. Don't change your images a month before you're ready to sell, right? Mm. Like because it was ugly. No, I want to buy a company that's ugly because right. I can put I can tweak those things and make it make more money.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, you, you got to leave some opportunity there, right? Like, I mean, yes, who wouldn't want to walk into a business and go, I don't have to do anything. But in the same breath, by seeing the opportunity, it actually gives you more incentive because then you're like, oh, we can actually see how we can grow this, not just keep it as is. But think so, about
0: this. Would you rather walk into a business and say, I don't have to do anything. It's making this much money. Mm-hmm. But I see that there's, a, you know, all of these opportunities because you can walk into a business. You don't have to do anything just because the images are ugly. You don't have to fix them. No, you could just keep it status quo. Right. 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 But there's all of, like, who wants to buy the perfect business? Mm. There's, there's
1: nothing but down from there.
0: Right. Like, if every single thing is like buttoned up and just perfect.
1: Right. What's left for me to do? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, th- those are great, great points. All right, man. Well, hey, this was fun. Let's um, let's. We'll have to probably uh, catch up with you in, in a year from now and see what's happening after this post pandemic and uh, see everything that's going on there. But um, let people know how they can get uh, in touch with you and uh, whether they want to talk about you know their current business or maybe buying one or whatever. Um, how would they get a hold of Chuck?
0: Yeah. So you can just reach out to me via email. It's just chuck at You can look at quietlight brokerage. Anybody would be happy to to hop on a call and chat with you you know, even if it's not about selling your business, always happy to hop on a call and chat. Like I like talking to people. So um, feel free to just reach out to me again, Chuck at Quiet Brokerage and we'll set up some time to, to chat. And what kind of going off of what I was just saying, right? Like don't wait until you're ready to sell your business. If you're thinking you'll ever sell your business, start taking the steps now to get in a position to sell it a year, two, three years from now. It's never too early to start that. It's definitely sometimes too late.
1: Yeah. No, I a hundred percent agree with that. And actually we did that, um, leading up to ours and, uh, it was a huge benefit for us, um, because you just avoid that stuff. And also you don't, you're not scrambling, but also you kind of, uh, well, like you said, you, you get more for the business because you did these things a year and a half before you were ready to sell. So yeah, absolutely, guys go, go check out Chuck. Chuck's a great guy. Uh, and, uh, he'll definitely help you out. Everyone over there at quiet, like just great people. And they're about the relationship, not just you know, you buying or selling through them. So yeah, take them up on that offer. I would. Anyway, uh, Chuck, thanks, man. I appreciate you. Happy holidays, by the way.
0: Happy holidays. And thank you everybody for watching.
1: I appreciate your time. All right. Well, there you have it. I wasn't kidding, right? Another great episode with another great guest. And I am just so lucky to be able to sit here and have these conversations and record them and share them with you. But I really love it because I'm not only doing it for you. I am doing it for you, by the way. But I'm also doing it for myself because I love to sit down with other entrepreneurs that have been on this journey for a long time because you learn so much. And like Chuck said, it's a roller coaster. We're on a roller coaster. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got you to gotta sign up for that. And, and what I mean by that is, is you have to understand that for the most part, you're going to have ups and downs, right? But you're going to learn from it as well, right? And you're going you're gonna to decide what risks you want to take what chances you want to take and what things that you want to focus on and as you evolve things will change and if you have a business that's sellable then you can just go ahead and sell it and you can reach out to someone like Chuck at Quiet Light all right so guys if you do think that your business right now that you have is something that you want to sell in the future even if it's 2 years from now definitely reach out to Chuck or someone over there at Quiet Light those guys are so great because They'll sit down with you for free and they will not pressure you to sell because they want you to sell when the time is right. And they really are just about establishing relationships. So definitely reach out to Chuck, even if you just want to pick his brain. I mean, Chuck basically said, just reach out and uh, if there's anything that you need help with, let me know and I'll be more than happy to give you a hand. So take him up on that offer guys, right? Like, I mean, he's got a lot of information up there. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, take advantage of that. And he's telling you to. So go ahead and do it. All right. The show notes can be found at brandcreators.com forward slash 918. And uh, well, keep an eye out for the next episode because we'll be doing a jam session after this episode, which is on Fridays. And if you want to be part of our Take Action Morning Crew, all you need to do is head over to takeactioncrew.com and you can join us over there. All right, guys, that's it. That's going to wrap it up. As always, remember, I'm here for you. I believe in you and I am rooting for you